We talked about reading your scriptures and saying your prayers and things like that. That's not going to cure everything, but I think that is something that we can do that might help us get a little bit of hope. And once you get a little bit of hope, just a little a little handhold there where you can grab onto, then you can start to pull yourself forward just a little bit every day. And the more you do that, then when you look back a week later and go, hey, I moved five inches this week. Well, hey, there's a little more hope there too, right? Maybe I can move five inches next week or 10 inches, or maybe I could even go a half mile this next week. Mental health is something we can't talk too much about, and so I uh, am grateful for this episode of The Cultural Hall. Uh, Take a moment, give us a review. You can go to wherever you get this episode. Likely it's going to be Apple Podcasts if you want to write a written review, and we love it. I'll be honest with you, when there is one that shows up, it tickles me to read the kind words from whoever leaves that review. Makes me feel good, makes me feel like this show is not just going in one ear and out the other. That's what my dad always used to say. Uh, So take a second, if you have not yet done it, uh, leave a review for the Cultural Hall uh, Apple Podcast. I know you can do it on Spotify, kinda. You can do like stars. Uh, You can, uh, oh, oh, you know what else I know you can do? If you follow us on Facebook, uh, you can leave a review for the Cultural Hall there on Facebook. Somewhere, tell someone that you like the Cultural Hall and enjoy this episode. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and if you're watching this, or if you saw the name and the graphic and the image, you thought, now wait a minute, didn't they just have David Morgan on? Dr. David Morgan on? Yes, that's true. He was on episode 567, but we liked him too much. That was the problem. We got done with the hour, and we said, we haven't had enough David Morgan in our lives, so let's have you come back. Uh, Let's have you be a little bit more pointed in what you're talking about, because we got to know a lot about you and where you come from, and and I encourage you to go back and listen to that 567. Uh, But today we're talking about the younger generation, uh, the youth, those those folks that uh, often get the shame, uh, often get the... um, you know, the back-in-my-day kind of guilt that we give them. We're going to talk about uh, what younger the younger generation can do to better manage mental health issues and get moving forward. Dr. Morgan, thank you for being me, being here with me. Thank you very much. I appreciate being able to come back because it's a super important topic. We need the, the youth today are struggling like, I think, like no other generation before, at least in terms with mental and emotional health. And, and, and I kind of think that the 1970s playbook that some of the us adults are using is no good for today's youth. So we need to talk about different stuff. You know, it, it it's interesting that you say the youth are struggling more than, you know, maybe ever before. But I sort of lump in all of us. Can can we collectively say that yeah. maybe all of us? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you, when well, you look COVID, at the youth. COVID hasn't done us any favors with that either. I mean, COVID has shown a, shown a light on on just mental health issues, and they've they've significantly increased over the last two years. Maybe we start there. What is it about COVID or the time of COVID that has exacerbated uh, the, these complications, these problems? That's a great question. I mean, I, I don't know that I know the answer to that question straight up. I've got philosophies. Um, <clears throat> I think probably it because it's been so long. Um, and that's been the challenge. It's been a significant, it, it was a significant disruption, but significant disruptions that last for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, we can usually handle those. We can just kind of grin and bear it and we make it through. But, 
you know, I remember sitting down with our son and daughter. Our daughter was in high school. Our son came home from BYU, Idaho when everything shut down. And we kind of talked about, okay, how are we going to manage this next month? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how, we're, how are we going to deal with this? And, uh, and we got, had a game plan. And then and when a month turned into a year, and now it's, I mean, this is March, or this is uh, February 2022, and we're coming up. It's been more than two years since COVID originated in Washington State. That's where I am. And we're almost coming up on the two-year anniversary of when everything just within days, I mean, the whole nation was just shutting down rapidly. Uh, there was an earthquake and wasn't that when they had the earthquake in, uh, in, in Utah? Yeah, well. you bet. Yeah. Trumpet falls from Moroni's hands. Exactly. My wife was there picking up uh, her niece from uh, BYU Provo. I think it's just been the longevity of it and that the longer a trial persists, the more difficult it becomes to sustain. And so it's the difference between running a 5K and a marathon, basically. Why are you more tired after a marathon? And to walk that out a little bit more or jog that out or run that out, depending on how you're engaging in the marathon or 5K, I also think that part of it is imagine if you're running a marathon and then you get to where you think the 26.2 mile marker is and people go, oh, yeah, no, no, actually, just keep running and we'll tell you when to stop. Right, right. I think exactly that. Right. Because it because the the goalposts keep getting moved, you know, it's. It's this how we have to do this for this long. And then vaccines became available. It says, oh, well, this will probably be the end of it. And it wasn't the end of it. And then you had the Delta wave and that started to go down. And then everyone thought, well, I think we're doing okay. And then Omicron hits and just everyone is sick. I mean, that uh, I would watch the numbers. Utah was pretty good about reporting their numbers in KSL. It was like 14,000 cases a day. <laughs> and I figured it had to be at least twice that because the people who aren't getting tested, um, and so there's probably not a person in the world who hasn't had COVID at this point. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that'll create some herd immunity that we've been looking for. But I don't know. You're right. It's just one more thing after another. We keep waiting for that next shoe to drop. And the more that we have to endure that emotionally, our emotional energy is similar to physical energy. It has limits. And if it doesn't get replenished, then it doesn't, you know, then it runs out. And so I think a lot of people have just run out. And that's why we're seeing an increase in symptoms of anxiety and depression and, and other sorts of things. I hope one within, of the reasons. I hope within our conversation, we can talk a little bit about how we might be able to replenish, but I want to bookmark that right now. And I want to talk uh, about some of these points that you sent over to me uh, prior to this discussion. We talked about how we might be able to help the the youth or the younger generation. Uh, I think that all of these apply to all of us. So if you don't have youth or aren't youth, just go ahead and, and like we do in the scriptures, put you in where youth comes up. Um, but you, you, you've you like these six points, and I want to use that as kind of a, a basis for our conversation, and I hope that we'll pick up the, the kind of side pieces to all this. The first thing that you say is be careful with diagnoses, and I want to know what you mean by that, and then I want to, I want to get maybe some examples or better understanding. Sure. So one of the challenges, the internet is amazing. I remember back in the day when it first came out and I was using Netscape <laughs> I don't know who's old enough to remember Netscape. <laughs> what? You know these these original browsers that came out, and and you have to. And there wasn't you, a whole lot. You you have to do the impression of the old modem, right? Where it's like bing, <laughs> bing, bing, scream at you, right? Like you died and gone to heaven when you got the 36, 33.6 baud modem instead of the fourteen four yep four K and. 
because um, it only took five minutes for a picture to download instead of 20. Or, uh, but one of the things that the internet has done is it's brought information to our fingertips. And so if you want to self-diagnose mental health, 20 years ago, you had to go to some obscure bookstore to find a copy of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And they cost like a hundred bucks. And so you'd have to or go to your library and find it and then wade through that and say, okay, what do I have? Now you just Google your symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so I've got this, 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 and this. And then any, you know, the first 10 things that are going to come up are going to list, well, those symptoms probably indicate this. And so there's a lot of, probably a lot more self-diagnosis going on. Um, the problem with self-diagnosis is that it's most of the time it's not accurate because diagnosis, it's just like, um, diagnosing a physical health condition. And uh, you'd probably want to, you'd say, well, I think I might have this, but then you'd probably want to go to a physician and, and get figured out. And then if that physician, your first line physician, your primary care, let's say that he, he or she says, well, I think this might be cancer. They're probably going to send you to an oncologist at that point. And not, they're not going to say, oh, okay, well, I've, I've seen cancer before. I can treat that. They're probably going to send you to an oncologist and have it be diagnosed even more specifically and get more specific treatment. So with mental health, same sort of thing. You might go to your general practice physician and she says, well, I think this is depression. Well, that's great, but depression is a very specific mental health issue. So you probably need to go to a counselor or a psychologist and get diagnosed there and then see if they have any more insights. People usually stop at self-diagnosis. They, well, this is what I have. Then they go to their doctor and say, I think I have depression. What did you Google your symptoms? Yeah, sure. Okay. You probably do have depression. Well, here's some medication and this is going to make you better. It's just not as nearly as sophisticated as it needs to be for these very complicated mental health issues. Anecdotally, though, I, you know, from talking to folks and and being able to hear a bunch of stories, uh, there is often a time, though, when people will say, but I knew it was something different. I went to the doctor and the doctor said this and that didn't settle right. Or, you know, I, I. And you hear just amazingly, it happens probably more with physical than with mental things, but where people are like, the doctor said it was nothing. I know my body. I know that it's right. something beyond. How how do you take that into into this conversation? Well, that that's why if you sit down with a psychologist, I mean, someone who's been to, you know, 10 years of graduate school and who's had, you know, dozens of years of experience, they're going to talk with you about that. And there's going to be some back and forth and try to figure out. And if the doctor says, well, I think it might be this. Well, if you consider this and there's that, that back and forth, I mean, a good quality diagnosis should probably happen over the course of several hour long sessions, you know, where you really dig deep into symptoms and what's, and what you might think might be causing them ruling out medical conditions, those sort of things. Most people I think are getting diagnosed probably at that frontline level, the, uh, which primary care physicians and with all due respect to primary care physicians, that's not their specialization. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are not mental health specialists. And so that's why I tell people get a good quality diagnosis, go to someone who really knows their stuff. Who's been doing this for a while. Who's got the education to back it up and then sit down and talk with them for a while. If someone came to me and I said, well, I think this might be a generalized anxiety disorder. And they say, yeah, but I've, I've read about that too. And I've got these other conditions. Oh, well, let's talk about those. Oh, well, no, this starts, this is looking more like there might be some trauma involved, or this is looking like it might be more of a social thing or, or whatever. So I think it's just important to, to discuss that with someone who really knows 
definitely don't stop at the self-diagnosis. That's just, that, that's, you wouldn't self-diagnose cancer. You shouldn't self-diagnose anxiety or, or trauma or something like that. There's another part of the diagnosis, though, that needs to be a part of this discussion, wherein, uh, and I think this is where some of the fear lies for people to go and to see someone, whatever the, the condition may be, uh, is that then they are defined by their diagnosis. So for the example of anxiety, right? Well, I've got anxiety. There's nothing I can do about it. That's that's the thing. And I don't want to be insensitive to anyone who might deal with anxiety or any of these things. But is there is there a balancing act that exists, exists between the diagnosis and then the agency to be able to do something about it in, in this realm of, you know, mental health? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the di- generally speaking, diagnoses were invented for the purpose of professionals to be able to communicate in a concise way about conditions. And so instead of me uh, if I'm handing off a patient to another professional and I say, well, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's um, he's sad most of the time. He has limited motivation. He has trouble sleeping. He doesn't concentrate very well. He gets agitated at times. Um, he feels hopeless on occasion. There sometimes even feels like he wants to take his life. I can just say to that other person, he's got major depressive disorder. And so so I've, so we've developed kind of this, this system where we can uh, – concisely talk about these mental health issues. And so the diagnosis is really just a descriptor of a number of symptoms. And in almost every case, those symptoms aren't permanent. They vary from time to time and they wax and wane in terms of intensity. Uh, Sometimes they go away for a while and then come back for a while. So anytime someone has a mental health diagnosis, I encourage them to just think this is not necessarily permanent. This isn't like a brand that you get that says, I will always have anxiety or because my parents had anxiety that I'm always going to have anxiety. It's just not that way. And if you take it from a perspective of the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything that we struggle with can be overcome through the Savior's power and including mental health. And he wants us to struggle with that because that's good for us, you know, as we learn to overcome. But I really think that anything that anything that makes us different from our Heavenly Father and our Savior, we can ultimately overcome uh, in this life or the next. Given uh, that mental health is the main thrust of this conversation, if someone is, say, depressed or something like that, uh, and they find themselves being diagnosed and then sort of, or whether it's self-diagnosed or by the by a doctor, a, a psychologist, um, and, and then sort of hear that, I would think that that sort of sticks with them and allows them to say, oh, no, I really am that, or I'm hopeless as far as being able to change and come out of that. It seems like a stickier situation in that way. Are there things that you say to folks? I know you kind of walked out the atonement and that anything is possible through Christ, but we sort of say that, right? Anything is possible through Christ Jesus, and right. we sort of dismiss it, and we go, yeah, but I'm still ang- anxious or depressed, and this is going to be with me forever. Is there an extra step or another thing um, that maybe we can speak into this space that would inspire those to be able to go, I'm not this, I have this? Right. It, it, well, it's just as simple as it's not going to be forever. We have to get, we have to, there, there's nothing in the literature that suggests that a diagnosis that most diagnoses are permanent. There are some diagnoses that are um, that are like linked to our um, our genetics. I have a gra- I have a young granddaughter who's been diagnosed with um, some developmental delays, and she's unlikely to grow out of those things. There's a chromosomal mutation that is going to contribute to delays for the rest of her life. Hmm. Um, so there are some things like that. 
the most common diagnoses, uh, which include anxiety and depression, you're not going to find anything anywhere where people say, oh, this is absolutely permanent. This is never going to change. In fact, they've um, the manuals have changed over the years, but the second to last iteration of the diagnostic manual had these in a category of conditions that were temporary hmm. and conditions that would that are likely to change over time. So we just need to abandon this idea that once I have this, I always have it and and just accept the idea there's always something I can do. Even my granddaughter, who's you know only two years old, she's in occupational therapy, she's in speech therapy, she's learning to do things that that are going to help her. I mean, she, she'll probably have an upper limit in terms of what she can do ultimately uh, in her life, but she's going to be able to press up to that limit because of the things she's going through. So there's always something we can do every time. The second point that you bring up uh, is realize that life is supposed to be difficult. And if there is ever like an older generation telling the younger generation sentiment, it's like, it's supposed to be hard. Pay your dues. You, you've got to struggle. You got to, you know, it's like a muscle. You have to, you have to break it down to build it up. Is that all this is, or is there something more to it? Well, it, that's true. I mean, it, it is, it is emotions are just like a muscle. You have to break them down in order to build them up. Um, and I think one of the problems that we have in, in any generation with mental health is we say, well, I, I shouldn't have to experience this. This isn't part of life's difficulties, and and there must be something wrong with me, because I'm because I'm having this experience, uh, and and I and I just have to get out of it as soon as I can and make it go away. I don't think that's true. I mean, we're we're here to go through challenging experiences. I think mental health is part of that. For whatever reason, it's increasing in incidence now uh, here in you know the 21st century, but. It's this idea that also you're going to get out of life what you put into it. Hmm. I mean, the, the the less you do, the less you're going to get out of it. And so I don't know where this idea is coming from that the best way through life is the easiest way through life. I don't, it's not pleasant to go through the difficult things, but you and I both know, I mean, we've both been through a lot of challenges in our lives. And quite frankly, I've learned a lot more from my challenges than I have from the easy roads. I guess in a way it's sort of a paradigm shift, thank you, Stephen Covey, uh, to look at life uh, and and recognize that, yeah, if we're looking for it to always be easy or happy, we're going to constantly find ourselves being disappointed. But if we can frame life as, yeah, there will be times of you know great joy and times of struggle and times of loss and can kind of really wrap our head around that life is multifaceted and not meant to be one thing in the same way that if we meant if we thought life was meant to be sad all the time we'd be disappointed because sometimes we'd be happy but i digress (laughs) uh if we can look at life in in sort of that grander picture maybe we don't you know maybe we don't um, find ourselves in those situations where all is lost or whatever so often. We just go, yeah, this is in fact what life is. It seems like it surprises us or something. Right. I was talking to one of my adult children um, over Christmas and they, he and his wife had been here for a couple of weeks. They're getting, he's getting ready to go back to work. And he's just like, he says, dad, how do you deal with going back to work after breaks. He's like, even after the weekend, you know, going back into work on Monday morning, he says, Sunday nights, I'm just like, you know, I I don't want to do this. And I said, um, 
I said, well, you got to learn to find some joy in work because if work is 100% drudgery and being off work is 100% happiness, then anytime you go back into work, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be upset. And I'm not saying that work has to be 100% happiness either, but you got to find some happiness in that. It's got to be at least 30% happiness or 35% happiness. <laughs> and your time off can be you know, 100% happiness if you want. But, but just that shift in thinking is going to help. I said, because you got another 35 years of this. You know, <laughs> I mean, you've got a long time that you're going to have to do this. And so until you find some sort of joy in that experience, it's going to be miserable the whole time. And so, like you're saying, that paradigm shift, we just have to, if we start to look at life and say, of course, life is going to have its ups and downs. And that's not a flaw in the system. That is just the way it is. There are times when I'm going to be down. There are times when I'm going to be up. And that's okay. Then when the down times come or the stressful times come, we're not necessarily surprised. Uh, it's still unpleasant, but we go, okay, yeah, I get it. This is this is one of those times when when the journey is going to be a little bit miserable, but I know that in time I'll hit a high point again and I'll feel billing, I'll, I'll be better after that. Do we trip ourselves up because we always feel like, but no one's ever had it this bad. Yeah. But when is my luck going to break? It's, it seems like, right. you know, when we start to have those, like a thing going poorly, eh, we got that. We can handle that. But two, three, well, come on, what is this? I thought he, he wouldn't right. give me more than I could handle. And this seems a lot more than I can handle. How do we, how do we kind of stop thought that and keep it in perspective? We need to get out more if that's the case, because no one is going through life without a considerable amount of stress. Uh, and, and we see that all the time. You see these individuals that the part of the problem is social media, which is, um, which is wonderful, but we put out a pretty sanitized version of ourselves in these things. And so we're comparing ourselves constantly to people's highs. People don't post their lows on social media very often. It's mostly the, you know, the, the trips to Hawaii and Disneyland. And then we go, <laughs> Oh man, why can't my life be like theirs? I promise you sit down and talk with that person for more than five minutes. And, and if they're honest with you, you're going to go, oh, well, that person's life is kind of like mine. They're going through struggles as well. Um, and, and they had, you know, two weeks of happiness in Hawaii. But that was um, before that was, you know, eight weeks of depression or stress or something like that. So we really I don't think there's anyone out there who's just making it completely amazingly and who doesn't have stress. And so that idea that I'm the only one suffering, it's just wrong. And so talk with someone and say, are you suffering too? And if they're honest, they'll say, oh yeah. And here's what I'm suffering with. It'll be different than what you're suffering with most likely, but everybody's suffering. And so I don't know if it's, it shouldn't be like a misery loves company sort of thing, but it's more of a, um, there's not necessarily anything wrong with me because my life has ups and downs. There's also uh, an opportunity for connection, I think, when you're being real with another person, that it's like my real person can connect with your real person. We've probably all opened up to that person where you're like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable. And you open up and they go, oh, no, I don't feel that at all. And then instantly you feel like a jerk for even you know <laughs> sharing anything yeah. with that person like, oh, why did I even do that? Uh, we're talking with David Morgan uh, about the six things that the younger generation can do in order to better manage mental health issues and get moving forward. We're going to take a break and come back in the second block and hit number three and four. 
Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, don't forget you can become a Patreon saint. We encourage you to do so. It's a way that you can put your money where your mouth is. You tell people you like the Cultural Hall, but do you monetarily like it? Because you should. It costs money to do these things. You can find us patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. You get to see the great video of Dr. David Morgan's face, his awesome backdrop with a mirror that I am envious of. I'm not going to tell you about it. You have to be a Patreon saint to see it. You also get to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group. If you join, go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Uh, your point number three is understand that mental health issues are not a sign of weakness or sin. And I think that's couched pretty well in the phrase of like, oh, well, you're just not praying hard enough. Oh, you just need you just need uh, you know a little Christ in your life to be able to help you through that thing. That's that's clearly, Dr. Morgan, what you're not doing correctly. Right. Well, and unfortunately, there's been, I mean, our understanding of mental health has increased um, really exponentially over the past, you know, 15 to 20 years. We're learning so much more about it. And the problem has been, part of the problem is that our first line of defense in the church has been for people to go to their ecclesiastical leaders, to their bishops and branch presidents. And these are, in almost every case, very, very good, well-meaning people um, who are trying to help, but they are not mental health professionals uh, in, in most cases. I mean, good for you if your bishop's a psychologist, you know. Yeah, that <laughs> poor fella. You know, yeah, I was going to say that, all, right? that that poor guy just lost all his money if he got called to the bishop yeah, brick exactly. and he's an actual psychologist <laughs> or LMFT. No kidding. And so, and so, you know, you if someone goes into their ecclesiastical leader and says, well, th- these are my problems. I don't think it's happening, hopefully not happening as much as it maybe was in the past, but they're kind of at a loss. Well, how do I deal with this? Well, okay, well, maybe if you just prayed more, maybe if you went to the temple more. Um, And I think there are a number of people out there who have got a pretty bad taste in their mouth because then they did go to the temple more and they did pray more and they continue to have the experience. And so then they understandably, but incorrectly associated the two. And then they said, oh, so this, this emotional experience I'm having is clearly an issue with my spirituality. And, and I can't seem to increase my spiritual now spirituality enough to get over this. So, so there must be something wrong with me. Um, Mental health, the reasons we have mental health issues are, are numerous. Um, they're biological, they're genetic, they're based in our uh, ex- historical experiences. Um, brain chemistry has something to do with it. It has to do with the way we think about things. I think it probably does have to do with our, some in part with our, the way we approach things spiritually, but all of that comes together uh, in, in a big mix. And so to say that one of those things alone is solely responsible for my entire experience is just wrong. 
um, I don't think you're you're really going to find a simple solution to a very complex problem. Well, and doctrinally, I think we get a little tripped up in this uh, too. Um, because, you know, we talk about like wickedness never was happiness. And so if I am unhappy, clearly I have done something wrong. I mean, it, it you can't change that scripture. That line says wickedness never was happiness. So how can we frame that uh, that particular piece in a way that helps us go, okay, n- that's, n- that's not it? Well, yeah, that's a great point. And so if you look at that, so that what Alma is saying is that if you engage in wicked behavior, that ultimately you're not going to be happy. I believe that's true. I think that the the end road of wickedness is going to be unhappiness in some some way or form. It may not happen immediately. Could take years. Uh, President Eyring talked about that. He said there's usually a space in between our behavior and the result, and that's in order to test our faith. Because if we are engaging in things that are contrary to the commandments, we don't have an immediate negative outcome because the Lord wants to say, well, will you recognize this and will you, you know, desire to repent? When we engage in righteous behavior, there's not an immediate amazing consequence because then we wouldn't have faith to say, well, should I keep doing this and and see what the outcome is? We're not like, you know, Pavlov's dogs, you, you know, you ring a bell and give them a treat. And, and, and the closer you pair those things, the more trained you're going to get. I don't think our Heavenly Father is trying to train us like dogs. He's trying to get us to understand things and to choose for ourselves uh, where the happiness is going to come from. Now, I think that, and so to say wickedness never was happiness, you can say um, it's incorrect to say that happiness or unhappiness always results from wickedness, Mm -hmm. um, because that's not true either. You can be unhappy for any number of reasons. Um, that don't result from wickedness. So you get Nephi in second Nephi chapter four, after his father had died and after Laman and Lemuel tried to kill him again for the umpteenth time. And then Nephi assumes the role of prophet. And he goes into this thing of, Oh, how, Oh, wretched man that I am. I, you know, he talks about his soul grieving. He's unhappy in that moment. Probably has nothing to do with wickedness. It has to do with a circumstance that, you know, that he found himself in. So, Yes, you can be unhappy from being wicked, but you can then be un- you can be unhappy for a lot of other reasons as well. And righteousness doesn't lead to immediate happiness as well. I think it leads to ultimate happiness, and it can lead to some immediate happiness for some. But sometimes there's that space in between, and we have to have faith and persist. You know, we talk uh, and use the phrase, well, it's just my burden to bear. It's the cross that I was called to carry, right? And with some of the doctrine that I think sometimes get a little gets a little confused within the church, we go, well, in heaven, I saw what my life was going to be like, and I chose this, and so I've clearly chosen whatever this, you know, mental health concern might be, and it's just my burden to bear, my cross to carry, I guess I'll, you know, endure this. We say that a lot, too. I'll endure this to the end and then get my reward, when often there are things that we can do about it now. Right. And and, and I don't think we know, uh, in fact, yeah, I don't think we know at all what happened in the preexistence. And if we agreed to things, if this was, I mean, we know that we accepted Jehovah's plan and that's how we ended up down here. But did we did we sign on the dotted line saying this is exactly how my life is going to go? Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. Um, 
and and to be clear, I don't know that I was professing that we did or that we didn't, oh, yeah, but I know, but I yeah. but I know that we hear that discussion a lot, right? Like that individual oh, yeah. knew that you know that this was the path that they would walk on, and they decided to be here is something right. that we often will say, whether or not it's rooted in doctrine or not. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, we do. It's folklore in mm-hmm. the church for sure, and and sometimes common sentiment. We always want to make sense of something. Mm-hmm. When when something happens that not that's nonsensical, Elder Renlund talked a couple of conferences ago about infuriating unfairness, and he says when there's unfairness that we can't quite understand where it's coming from, he says that's infuriating. He says we don't we don't get it, so we want to ascribe meaning to everything, and and maybe there is ultimate meaning to all things. Maybe there's not. You know, I, maybe there's some randomness that Heavenly Father says, yeah, I'm going to let some things just kind of bounce around like a an old pachinko machine or other things I'm going to really get in and get involved with um, and manage. I I truly don't know how that works, but it doesn't matter because whether you signed up for it, whether it's random, we're still dealing with it right now. And the question is, what do you do? And like you said, I think the important thing is to say, if this is my burden to bear because I signed on the dotted line, or if this is my burden to bear because of just the random stuff that happened in life, I still have the burden. And what can I do to make it lighter? What can I do to move forward? That's the thing that I think we miss is we assume since we have a burden that there's nothing we can do about it. And I think that's where Satan wants us because the less we act, the less we progress. And, and he wants us to stay stuck. Because and it's miserable being stuck. No one likes being there. Well, it's another way that uh, the adversary takes away our agency, right? Or the appearance of our agency. Oh, there's nothing you can do. So even though there is very much we can do, the thought that we can't do anything is in a way stripping us of our agency. As we're walking out these different points, I believe we're to point number four, which is know the truth about the causes of mental health issues. And we've certainly touched on some of this, but maybe we walk these things out a little bit more. So one of the things that um, when you talk about this idea of we can't change, mm-hmm. and I love what you just said about Satan and him um, kind of promoting that lie, because he's been assaulting agency from the very beginning. I mean, he, he wanted it to be done from the start, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's just get rid of agency from the beginning. And his approach now is so clever because he can't take it away from us, but he can give he can get us to just put it on the shelf. And I think that's one of his most clever approaches ever in this idea. There's nothing I can do about it. And he says, oh, so basically what you're saying is you're just going to put your agency over here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just setting it down because there's nothing I can do. He's like, then my work is done. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got you where I wanted you 10 billion years ago in the preexistence. You wouldn't hand it over to me then, but you're essentially handing it over now by just making it inert. Um One of the things that fuels that is a misperception. And some people are going to, say, David, you're wrong about this, I'm not wrong about this, is that most mental health issues are chemical. Um, and it's just not true. I, I can point you to five studies right now that that just that disprove this. Um, and there is a lot of propaganda, for lack of a better word, and a lot of it has been promoted by the pharmaceutical companies um, to suggest that that mental health issues are primarily caused by some sort of chemical imbalance in the brain. And then because of that, the only thing you can do about it is take medication uh, in order to correct that. That, that myth was debunked about 20 years ago um, through studies, uh, actual experiments where they went in and manipulated 
uh, neurochemicals in the brain to see what would happen. There's just no evidence that it is exclusively caused by that. Yes, it's a, it's a contributing factor, um, but there are many, many other contributing factors like we talked about before. And so if you have a doctor that has told you that your, and, and I've had patients come to me and say, well, my doctor told me that my thing is chemical. Your doctor is wrong. I mean, it is, we, there is no evidence that mental health issues are exclusively chemical. And so when we know that it's multifaceted, then we can say, okay, well, then medication may be part of that. You know, I need to take some medic, need to take medication to help with this part, but I should probably change some other things. Like maybe I need to improve my exercise or maybe I need to look at my thinking as well. That, that, um, that myopic approach that it's just, that it has a single cause, I think gets people stuck uh, too often. You know, I'm 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 not one for conspiracy theories, but if we can just walk out something that you said uh, a, a moment ago, which is pharmaceutical companies don't make any money if you aren't using their pharmaceutical products, yeah. and and and, and I, that's about as far as I want to take that because. Bring on the emails, contact at theculturehall.com, because I know they're coming. Go ahead and send those away. And, and I don't think that by any means uh, Dr. Morgan was saying that you shouldn't take them or, or anything like that. I know that I'm not going to put those words in your mouth, and I don't think that that's what you said. But I think no. that I, I think the sentiment of what you're saying is contrary to a lot of at least the social norms of this is a chemical thing and I need to have this particular substance. Well, and that's true because it is partially a chemical thing and you do need to have that particular substance in many cases, but that's not the only thing. And that's what I'm trying to say is that it's, that's one piece of your healing. That's one piece of your treatment. And if it's the only piece of your treatment, then I think we're going to end up doing less than we, than we otherwise could um, in order to improve. That's all I'm, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anyone stop taking any medications they're taking right now. I think these medications are given to us by God. They're, they're helpful for many, many people, but that's not the only piece of treatment. And if you have a professional who's saying the only thing you need to do to fix this is to take medication, then I, I seriously doubt that. Uh, it, it, even issues such as like schizophrenia or honest to goodness, bipolar disorder, where we've typically thought that this is mostly a chemical thing, we found out we're wrong. Um, there are so many other issues that go into that. And so these are multifaceted issues that need a multifaceted solution. And if your solution is single faceted, then you're fighting a six front war on one front. And, and you wonder why, you know, you're not making a lot of headway. Are there scenarios where the medication is a good first step? Like, the, taking the medication allows you the opportunity to do some of that mental work where you maybe couldn't get out of your own way initially. Or I, I, I've never taken medications. Obviously, that the way that I'm fumbling through, like, eh, I mean, is this how this kind of works? But it, are, are there instances where, like, if I needed to, I'm trying to think of a, a, another example that would maybe walk parallel to this. But if there was something that was so overwhelming that if I was able to take a medication to reduce the overwhelm and then be able to focus on the other healing piece. Is that a, a part that uh, medication falls into? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So let's say that someone sustains a, a, a debilitating back injury um, and, it, and, and they can hardly move, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I had a back injury years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't extremely debilitating, but I ended up going to physical therapy and their, um, their actually their motto was to keep moving. 
they said, if you just lay in your bed all day, this thing is going to get worse and worse and worse. All I wanted to do was lay in bed all day because it hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. but they said, you have to start moving. And so they gave me some, you know, physical therapy exercises I could do. One of the best things that helped was for me to get into the pool and to swim. And, but unless I had some medication that could help me get out of bed, I couldn't get out of bed to get to the pool. Hmm. So I was able to get some medication, which, which, you know, reduced the pain somewhat. And then that enabled me to get to the pool, which then, you know, I was able to get there and swim. And then over the course of weeks and months, uh, the injury was healed. It's similar to that. So let's say you have someone who's so depressed that they, I mean, they can't even, if you say someone's depressed, say, well, you need to start thinking differently. You need to exercise. You need to maybe change your diet a little bit. And there's like, I can't do that. I can't even get out of bed. Mm -hmm. All I do is lay here in bed all day and think about ways to harm myself. What a great opportunity for medication to be a first line of defense, because if that can get them that little bit of lift where they can get out of bed and they can start entertaining different thoughts and they can maybe go for a walk every day or something like that, then that'll be helpful. Anxiety is the same way. I, I can't even, I won't even leave my house because I'm so scared. Well, Part of dealing with anxiety is doing the things that scare you in order to learn how to cope with them. So if you're able to take some medication that will enable you to get to the grocery store, maybe at two in the morning when there's nobody there. And, uh, but then, but then that's okay. Cause then you did that and you're like, okay, that was okay. I could do that. I'm learning some coping skills. So for many, many people, medication is a very, very valuable um, piece and often a good place to start. I just don't think it's, the whole thing. And it's not necessarily the place to end either. It's a good place to start, but there's, let's add more things to that, that will help us, um, you know, just improve and, and get better coping overall. I appreciate that reframe because there is still a, a considerable amount of stigma around medication and what it is and what it isn't and, and, and that it can be a, a very valuable piece of a much larger kind of healing or, or, or life-changing protocol. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back in the third block, we got points five and six. In addition to recording this here show and putting it out week over week over week, I've been doing this for over 11 years now, and it has become part of my life that I will teach others how to do the same. Now, not necessarily the same as the cultural hall, but if you are interested in doing a podcast, you've thought, oh man, you know what? I've got this great idea. Uh, I do help folks in a couple different ways. Uh, one is I teach a class. It's got curriculum and assignments and the whole deal uh, that I can be able to help you walk through through as you are looking to start a podcast, uh, or if you're looking for someone to help edit, help uh, produce, help uh, you know consult on a weekly basis with your podcast, you can also reach out to me. And the best way probably, honestly, to do that is if you find me, Richie T. Stedman, on any social media, that is a great way. Or you can always just email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Would love to help you out. Would love to talk to you about your idea. Would love to see if it would be something that uh, we could put into to, uh emotion. Let's do it. I almost said put into practice. That doesn't make sense. Uh, send me an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops with breaking news. Windows 11 is now here. It's fast and it's beautiful. So let's make sure your computer's ready to run it. Bring your PC into any PC Laptops right now at pclaptops.com. pclaptops.com. Welcome to send us that email, contact at theculturalhall.com. If you hear something that Dr. Morgan says and you say, you know what, wrong, 
to Dr. Morgan. I'd love to hear about it, and we can get you and him in a conversation. Or if uh, maybe you uh, you agree wholeheartedly and this changes your life, we'd love to hear about it. Contact at theculturalhall.com is the email address. Great thing about email addresses is that they never close. So if you have that thing where you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, I have to send the cultural hall an email, you can do it and you won't wake me up. Not likely that I'll be asleep anyway. Thank you, insomnia. So let's get to point number five, Dr. Morgan. Recognize your limits, but always do what you can. So that's it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about earlier and this idea that there's always something we can do in order to improve our condition, even if it's slight. And that's the part of the problem is that we tend to think in very grand terms. We say, okay, what's the one thing I can do today that's going to completely eliminate my mental health issues tomorrow. Well, that you can't, mm-hmm. there's nothing that you can do to do that. Uh, especially if your mental health issues are long-term um, uh, you might, do you remember the movie city slickers? Of course. It's With, the uh, one thing. Of course. Of course. What's <laughs> right, your one, one thing? One I can't, thing, right? I can't the, tell you. Oh, why I, I ought to, everyone is, has their own thing. Yeah. So you've got that crusty old cowboy, Jack Palance, and um, and he's out with Billy Crystal chasing down some strays, and they and eventually I guess they Billy Crystal realizes that that Curly isn't going to kill him, and so they have a conversation. And so this is if you don't know the story, there are these uh, city slickers, these people from the city who have gone on this cattle ride to drive these cattle hundreds of miles. And it's kind of their therapy, right? Is to get out of the grocery store, get out of the grind and go ride a horse for two weeks and and come to some clarity. And uh, Curly says to the Billy Crystal character, he says, you city slickers are all the same. He says, you spend 50 weeks every year tying your, no- tying your rope in knots and you expect to come here and get it untied in two weeks. Mm. And I'd lo- I've loved that line ever since I heard it because we think, oh, I can spend years and years, you know, accruing these mental health issues, but then I can go to therapy for two weeks and I'm going to be fine. Of course you can't do that. It's going to take longer than that. It probably, hopefully it doesn't take as long to fix as it took to, uh, to germinate, but big issues take a long time to solve. Um, oftentimes people will, uh, and so then they say, well, since I can't solve it right away, then I can't solve it at all. You really just have to do small things on a daily basis and just do those over and over and over again. And that's where where real change comes from. There's a certain amount of grace that falls into this topic, too, because so often we try and think it out and go, I don't know how that would ever I don't know how I would ever be able to work this out. Right. We we sort of get discouraged with the even, you know, the thought of it to be able to take that first step. Right. I don't see the path. So I can't take that first step. And that's that's really where Christ comes into the play in this is because it's like, yeah, it's possible. You yeah. can't see it. Let's let's go. Let's do this thing. Take a step and then we'll take another. Right. I mean, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of hope. Um, there's really nothing that you're going to read in the scriptures that is ultimately discouraging or that says, yeah, you know, you really can't do this. Or I'm sorry, that problem's too big and, and we're not going to be able to manage that. Everything in there talks about how it, it is possible, like we talked about earlier, all things are possible through the Savior. Um, that doesn't mean they're going to be simple, and that doesn't mean they're going to be easy. 
um, he says, yeah, we can do this. And if you want to start on that first step today, this journey that's going to take you 10 years, um, yeah, we can do that. And, and each step is going to be, and the first steps are going to be extremely painful. But if you want to do that, we can do that. Uh, so I think in having hope can be difficult, especially with chronic mental health issues. Mm-hmm. A feeling of hopelessness is one of the symptoms of depression, where you just feel like there's nothing I can do. And I think that's where um, kind of a spiritual approach to this can help. I'm not suggesting it's the exclusive solution. Like I said earlier, hopefully you know that I'm not suggesting that anything is a an, an exclusive solution to this. It's all multifaceted. But I think that we talked about reading your scriptures and saying your prayers and things like that. That's not going to cure everything, but I think that is something that we can do that might help us get a little bit of hope. And once you get a little bit of hope, just a little, a little handhold there where you can grab onto, then you can start to pull yourself forward just a little bit every day. And the more you do that, then when you look back a week later and go, Hey, I moved five inches this week. Well, hey, there's a little more hope there too, right? Maybe I can move five inches next week or 10 inches, or maybe I could even go a half mile this next week. Hmm. I like that. And I like that. Two points that I like to that is that if we look back in the last week and are able to see any sort of movement, that can be encouraging. And I don't think that we do that often enough. We look at, oh, I don't feel like I'm going anywhere or the distance that we still have to go. But being able to be encouraged by where we where we have been. And then I think the other thing, if we take that as a literal, like walking on a path, we see everyone else on paths and they're in different places. Literally everyone is in a different place. And we go, well, why am I not there? Well, why did they get those many steps that way? Or, and horribly so, we look at the other people that are behind us and, the, and we go, oh, well, at least we're not that person. And that doesn't serve <laughs> us as well either. No. Uh, no, any sort of any sort of cross comparison is just it's fruitless. Um, we are we are on our own race, on our own time. And we're not, and when it comes to the final judgment, we're not going to be compared to anyone else. It's going to be what did you do with what you were given, and how did you move forward? And I think there's going to be so much grace and mercy at that time. Um, I, I almost think that what it really comes down to is just how happy do you want to try to be in this life? Hmm. What can you do to increase your happiness? Um, and, and I think there might be a lot more people redeemed in the end than we think. And it's just what path do you want to take to get there? And what can you do every day to try to increase your happiness in that using whatever technique there is out there, but just this idea that I can't do it or that this is too difficult or that I'll never succeed. Those, those are inaccurate. Although, uh, in our conversation, my mind just latched onto the idea that, you know, the, the entrance to the celestial kingdom was judged on a bell curve. And that would be sort of humorous to me. I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Johnny over here, he, he scored real well that up the curve a little bit. And so everyone here over, well, I mean, nice try. Great. Good. Good for yeah, you. Exactly. And that's obviously We'd not be in trouble if the, if the savior was the Ultimate, he's like, well, look how well he did. Yeah. I mean, he got 100%. So we're just going to compare everyone to that, and, and we'll see how close you came to that in life. Um, if, if, if that were the point, there would have been no need for his atonement because he said, I know you guys are going to fall so short of what I did that I'm going to create a space for you where when you do fall short, you can come to me, we can work it out, and I can help you get to where you need to be in your life. 
and um, you know the happiness that you want to have. And then ultimately, when you when you make it back to my father, that's what the Doctrine and Covenants talks about. We're going to show up and and we're going to say, I didn't get it, I missed it. And the Heavenly Father's going to say, Well, yeah, maybe you did. I mean, you're you're still imperfect. And the Savior is going to be there as our advocate. He's going to say, Father, man, this guy was really. He, he really played to win. He did everything he could. I know he struggled, but can I apply my atoning blood to have him come in? He's going to say, absolutely. I think that's going to be one of the most glorious moments of our existence right there. Yeah. I I have continued to walk out that classroom scenario where Jesus gets 100%. And we're like, come on, Jesus, just like a, get a couple answers wrong. Help the rest of us. You, you know how you always felt about that, that one, right. you know, 100% are in your class. Uh, number six, and I want to spend the remainder of our time that we have, we just got a few minutes here, uh, demotion, uh, develop rather emotional resilience. I think that's a, a lot of buzzword in emotional resilience. I think yeah. people are starting to unpack what that really means. I would hope that you could def- define it first and then second of all, help us to be able to develop some emotional resilience. So emotional resilience is the idea of being able to endure difficulty and then become stronger as a result of it. Um, So it's not just getting through the trial and it's not getting through and coming out worse. It's getting through the trial and actually becoming better as a result. Just like it sounds, you know, the resilience is this concept of improvement and kind of um, overcoming and then emotional attached to that. So the, the church has a, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has a new course on this. It's part of their self-reliance um, courses, which some people have taken those. There's the finance one. There's the um, one on starting a new business. And I think the difference to the emotional resilience course is that there is not a person on the earth who could not benefit from this. The, the financial improvement course, there's probably a number of people who are like, well, yeah, I've, you know, Jeff Bezos probably doesn't need to take that course. <laughs> He's doing okay financially. He doesn't need to, you know, sit down and figure out how to budget and how to save for retirement and those sort of things. He could focus um, a little more on tithing. I want, no, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> no, so. shade, no shade, Bezos. I have no idea. Get a few no more idea. temples built. Yeah. Send the missionaries to his house and see what he thinks. Um, but there, but emotional resilience touches everybody because there's always something that we're dealing with, always something that we're struggling with to do this or, and, and becoming more resilient or more, um, I guess, stronger or more capable in those situations is, is really important. Um, a couple of things that you can do to improve emotional resilience. Number one is to, and we've talked about them earlier, just not in directly this way, is to see the value in the struggles that you have, to recognize that as, you know, this is something that's going to make me stronger. So my depression, my anxiety, my parenting problems, my stress, my academic struggles, all of these things are potential um, benefits to help me become stronger in a certain area. Um, if we view them exclusively as liabilities, then they become something we just want to push away and something we want to get out of our lives as soon as we can. If we view them as, well, this is difficult, but I can see that as I continue through this, that I might develop greater strength and greater capacity to deal with these sorts of things in the future, then it becomes a little more welcome. Uh, trials, I don't think, are ever extremely welcome in our lives. We're not mm-hmm. like, hey, Woohoo, can't wait for my next trial. Although we all know that one guy who's like, I welcome trials. And we're like, that's not me. Good for you, man. That is not who I am. That guy in private (laughs) later, because that that seems like a fun thing to say that I don't know that anyone really believes. Right. um, When they actually are, are being honest about it. 
But in, instead of viewing them as 100% negative, we can say, maybe this thing is just 70% negative to me, but I can see the silver lining in this dark cloud uh, that's going to help me become stronger as a result. Yeah. I love everything that we've talked about. And I, uh, again, just feel so compelled to be able to have that conversation with you. And and we couched it in the youth, but I know it's something, you know, I don't consider me the youth and, and everything that we've, that we've talked about. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, no, I got to think about that a little bit differently. Or, or those are definitely some things that, that I can practically uh, apply. You're doing a ton of great, amazing things. If people want to latch on to some of the stuff that you put out into the world, where can people find and, and consume more Dr. David Morgan? They can go to Instagram at LDS Psychologist or my website at ldspsychologist.com. And uh, yeah, good information there. Uh, got some new stuff coming up in the next few months. Um, exciting stuff. And so if you want to subscribe on my website, you'll get emails that'll let you know about the new stuff that's coming. And do you do, uh, if I was a client in New Jersey, could we meet online? Do you do that kind of stuff? No, I don't do online therapy, but part of the what I'm developing in the next uh, month or two is kind of a um, online consultation, uh, self-help sort of thing. So anyway, that's if, if you want a little bit of it's not therapy, but if you want, uh, it's going to be called the Keep Moving Forward program um, and a, a place for people to come and, and learn and talk and have a community to talk about mental health stuff. I think it'll be helpful. So uh, yeah, ldspsychologist.com. Um, and there's a link there where you can learn a little more about the program. But yeah, probably hopefully by the end of March 2022, this will be ready to go. That's exciting to me because I think there are some people that are like, yeah, I'm at the point I want to talk down. I want to sit and, and talk with someone. And there are other people who are like, you know what? I just like I, if I could get a little boost, a little like yeah. – TED talky kind of oomph. Maybe I can, you know, figure my way through this and a combination of both and maybe some medication and a whole, you know, charcuterie of helpments to be able to, uh, th to get you through the things that you're struggling with. Now, uh, Dr. Morgan, we had you on fairly recently. Uh, so I won't ask you the first two questions, uh, that we ask everyone, but I do want to ask you that third question again, because I find that this question, no matter how many times people have been on the cultural hall, uh, depending on where that person is at, how they're feeling that particular day that they come up with, uh, various questions or answers to the question. But the question remains, what is your favorite part? of your faith? Uh, I think that, again, and, and maybe, what, maybe what I said before, well, I think this is different than what I said before. I love the idea of hope. Um, and, and that's, if, if there's one thing that I can do in any of the people I talk to or podcasts I go on, I want people to leave with a feeling of hope. And like we said, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of hope and that there's always something we can do and that there are better days ahead. I 100% believe that. And, and getting to those days is going to involve work on our part. And that's great. We should work. We should, uh, we should work for what we get and then look back on it and say, look what I did. Look what I accomplished uh, with the help of others, with the help of the Savior. But I did part of that as well. And so I love that hope is one of the central tenets of the gospel and, and hope that people can experience that in their own lives as well. And I hope 
that people enjoyed this episode. We hope that it uh, that uh, it will nourish and strengthen your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Brother Brent, Debbie Wanless, Rick McGee, Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, and Miracles, I Told You So, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back.